Good morning. Welcome to Grace Church in Kutztown. Those in person, those online, welcome you uh, to a church whose mission is to lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus. Uh, just a few announcements. One, of course, is to please tear out your connection card in your bulletin and uh, fill it out, drop it in the offering plate. I would appreciate that. Uh, another announcement is, how many people here know who Lenny Kunz is? Know who Lenny Kunz is? Lenny Kunz is the guy that sits up there and does the sound week after week after week with barely a break. And I was looking through our bulletin this morning and it is Lenny's birthday this week on the 30th. So I think we need to wish Lenny a happy birthday. So let's all together, one, two, three. Happy birthday, Lenny. <laughs> Further looking into the topic of birthdays, I'm sure you noticed that on October 29th, it is Pastor Adam's birthday. He's gonna be 12, no. <laughs> He just looks young, but he's wise in years. <laughs> and uh, I was going to have us all sing happy birthday, but I know that would embarrass him terribly. So just let's wish him, a, be sure he doesn't leave today without us wishing him a happy birthday. Okay? So um, for my call to worship this morning, or our call to worship, I should say, I'm going to be reading from Psalm 95. Uh, that is found, I think, on page 400, and I don't think I wrote it down. Around in the 400s, <laughs> Psalm 95. I'm going to read the first seven verses. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song for the lord is the great god the great king above all gods in his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him the sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land come let us bow down in worship let us kneel before the lord our maker for he is our god and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. So we are here today to worship the Lord, and let's do that. But first, let's open in a word of prayer. Father God, we do worship and praise you, for you do own all things. You are the creator God who put all things in the universe together, the stars in and planets in their orbit, and this earth that we call home, you have made it, and you have made us. And beyond that, you have redeemed us. You have given us a way of salvation if we would receive your son and your gift of salvation. And Lord, we thank you for that. We worship you for that. We praise you for that. We give you thanks for that. And we ask, Lord, that as the next verse in the psalm says, 
you say, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And we pray this morning for soft hearts, for open ears, and for uh, hands that do your work and feet that uh, obey your call. And bless pastor's words to us this morning. Give him your words to speak. And give us joy, Lord, as we raise our voices in song to you. In Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen. It is good to worship in the Lord's house this morning. I remember David said, I was glad when they said to me to come into the house of the Lord. And that is where we are this morning. So let's stand this morning and sing our first hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Oh, mm-hmm. 
Our scripture today is found on page 875 of the Red Pew Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body, And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. 
But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. Thanks, Christine. Well, friends, we are in week two of our uh, four-part series on the church. Uh, the title of the series, Why Church? And in this series, we're looking at four different images of the church that are given to us. So last week, we talked about how the church is a, uh, excuse me, <laughs> the church is a family, uh, and how uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, the last part of Ephesians chapter 2, we're a family that's been brought near to God through our faith in Jesus alone. We're a family who lives out a reconciling, lives out the reconciling work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about how we're a family that is continually growing and expanding by the Spirit of God who lives inside of every single uh, believer, every single follower of Jesus. This week, we turn to a different uh, image of the church. And as you already heard in the scripture reading, it's the image of a body. And here, the Apostle Paul refers to us as the, the body of Christ. And, and right out of the gate, we, we learn here that the church as, as a uh, group of, of people uh, who've put their trust in Jesus, um, we are a living, breathing kind of a, a, a group of people that we're not referred to as uh, the cadaver of Christ, right? We're referred to as the body of Christ. It's very different, right? Um, what is the difference between a living body and a cadaver? Uh, it's life, right? There's, there's life in a living, breathing body. Uh, what is the life in us? We get reference to it in the passage, and all of this is introductory, but what sets the church apart from any other group of people on the planet is that we who have put our trust in Jesus receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of our conversion, that the Holy Spirit indwells us, He lives within us. And as the first part of, of uh, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, um, we're made fully alive in, in Christ, that He has chosen to make us alive in Christ, even though we are dead in our trespasses and sins. The moment we express our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes, we pass from death to life, from darkness to light, and we become part of the church, the universal church, um, God's plan A of uh, being his redemptive influence in the world. That's who we are and, and what we're called to do and what we're called to be. Now, the danger is for us, we oftentimes, 
in our uh, own little corner of the world and, and just maybe living in the time we're living in, we tend to look at our faith as very uh, individual, individualistic, like it's just Jesus and me kind of a faith. And the experience, the corporate experience, is kind of this optional add-on if you want to, if you have time, if it's convenient. Um, but as long as it's Jesus and me, we stress a personal relationship with, with God, right, through our faith in Jesus. But if it's just Jesus and me, we're not really understanding what it means to truly know and follow Jesus because when we put our trust in Jesus, we don't just have a reconciled relationship with God vertically. We also experience this relationship with God horizontally as well in the relationships we have with one another. And so scattered throughout the New Testament are all of these calls to live out our faith, not just with Jesus and me, but this Jesus and we together kind of faith, these one another's of the New Testament, which we'll touch on. But we, we are reminded throughout the New Testament just how important the church is. The church with a capital C, that church universal, and the church with a lowercase c, our own local expression of the church. And so when we look at this next passage here uh, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what we start to see in this image of the body challenges some of the assumptions that we make as far as the, the church with a capital C and the local church with a lowercase c are concerned. That it really does challenge us, those of us who um, have been walking with the Lord for a long time, those who may be new to the faith and, and everyone in between. So if you're following with me in the Bible you brought with you, and I hope you are, um, you can uh, find the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if not, the words to the scripture are uh, projected behind me because I never want you to take my word for, for what I'm saying on a Sunday morning uh, in my preaching ministry. We have God's word written for us, and so um, by all means, uh, open it and, and uh, review it yourself so that you can be sure it's true. And so uh, notice what the Apostle Paul says. He's writing to uh, this church, it's first century they live in Corinth. Corinth was sort of a mess as far as spirituality was concerned and, and morality was concerned. Um, history tells us there was all kinds of crazy stuff happening there. But the Corinthian church was one of the most messed up churches that Paul had written to in the New Testament. If you would read through it, it you, would, you couldn't imagine that there would be anything redemptive about that particular church. And yet, even now in chapter 12, the apostle Paul is writing and offering a bit of encouragement to them. And so he says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And so that makes sense to us, I'm sure, right? Paul explains then how and why this is the way it is, as he continues, for we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, for any of you who've been with us over the last several weeks, isn't it interesting that here we are again dealing with the issue in the early church of Jew and Gentile? 
It was that way in the letter to Romans. It was that way last week in the letter to Ephesians. Now here we are in the letter to the Corinthians as well, that there must have been something there that they were struggling with as far as the formerly Jewish converts, the formerly Gentile converts, those would be the formerly religious insiders, the formerly irreligious outsiders now coming together under the name of Jesus. But he reminds them and us that that for those of us who've put our hope in Jesus and Jesus alone, we are given the Holy Spirit. We're baptized in Him. What does that mean? We're immersed in Him. We're completely identified with the Spirit through our faith in Jesus. And so any of us can experience this no matter who we are, no matter where we're at, no matter where we've been, simply through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. That's how we receive the Holy Spirit. We believe as a church that when we put our hope in Jesus, we receive all of the Holy Spirit at the time of conversion. Uh, The Holy Spirit might not have all of us and all of our hearts. That's worked out in the process of sanctification, daily surrender, growing to look like, live like, love like Jesus. But we believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit. He takes up residence in our hearts, and he gives us the power that we need for daily living. We talked about in the book of Romans, chapter 3, that was two weeks ago, how we are justified through our faith in Jesus. He looks at us just as if we've never sinned. And it's the Holy Spirit that, that uh, sets us apart at the moment of conversion to live that holy life, that life that's pleasing to Jesus, that new life, that different life. The Holy Spirit um, is who we yield to on a regular basis. The Holy Spirit who also then uh, reminds us that we are not in this life as followers of Jesus alone, but we are part of, as Paul says in verse 12, one body that has many parts. And so we, we start to see what's, what's going on here. We together form one body. And the, the truth is that we start to see in verses 12 and 13 is that we function at our best when we ourselves as individuals are not trying to function alone. That Paul understood something here that we sometimes forget, that living for Jesus is relational and we do this together. I've said this many times in my preaching ministry here. Uh, there's no such thing as a healthy, isolated follower of Jesus as much as we can try to fool ourselves into thinking that there's an exception for me and for you when we choose to live in isolation from one another, it's just not true, and we can't back it up scripturally. And if we can't back it up scripturally, we ought not be doing it. Just because it's popular in culture, just because it's popular in society, just because it's popular in some corners of the church, God's word says that we need each other, and there is no such thing as a healthy, isolated follower of, of Jesus. These relationships matter because we were created to connect with God and with each other. And kind of bringing us back to what we talked about several weeks ago um, in our series when we looked at, at, at Genesis uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3, what happens in the Garden of Eden, though Adam and Eve enjoyed a perfect relationship with God, is that they chose to rebel against God. And their their relationship with God was 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 destroyed, right? Like they're, they're, they're Sin entered them, sin entered the world, and notice that it didn't just result in a fractured relationship with God, but suddenly they started to have a broken, fractured relationship with each other. What was the first thing they started to do when they were called out for their sin? They blame-shifted, right, and pointed fingers at one another. And so 
we as humans have been doing that ever, ever since. And what do we do? Oftentimes we, we go into, into hiding. We go into isolation. And there's a part of us, all of us, I think, that craves community. And yet there's a part of us that also runs from it because it's so difficult and so risky. And yet for us who've put our hope in Jesus, and for those who may have walked with Jesus for a long time, it's easy for us to forget just how much we need one another. Someone had posted yesterday um, uh, something on, on Facebook. It was, uh, they're called memes. It's like an image that, that, that says something for those of you who are unfamiliar uh, perhaps with, with that. But, but anyway, it talked about how there are certain things we can't do as followers of Jesus and as uh, members or parts of the local church um, from our couch. Like you can't serve from your couch. You can't um, e- experience the fellowship of others from your couch. You can't experience the power of, of worshiping together uh, from, from your couch. And for those of us who, who are familiar with some of the one another statements in the New Testament, which I've alluded to, like how can we encourage one another if we're just living our lives on our own with just Jesus and me? And how can we forgive one another if it's just Jesus and me? And how can we support one another if it's Jesus and me? The, the fact is we can't do that. Um, and yet there's a reason why the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 10, warning the, 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 those folks not to forsake the assembling of themselves together as some are in the habit of doing, right? Like, why did people need to be warned if there wasn't that, that pull in the human heart? And so it is with us as, as well. It's easy to keep people at arm's length. It's easy to get out of the habit of community with other Christians. It's easy to fool ourselves into thinking that the relationship that we have with Jesus is just about him and us, and it doesn't have to do with anything or anyone else but it's just not, not true. So it calls us, I think, toward some self-examination. Self-examination is good. The look inward is good. When we uh, spend time together in God's word, uh, the applications are always for me and always for you. Uh, it's, it's not, oh, so-and-so really needs to hear that, or man, I hope so-and-so's listening today. Uh, it's always for you and for me first, Right? And, and so how does this speak to any of those sinful tendencies in your heart and these sinful tendencies that are in my heart? Because they certainly ex- exist there if, if left to ourselves. But then notice this, and I, I think this is a fantastic part of how God's word speaks and how God uses it. Notice how the Apostle Paul in verses 14 and following starts to address some of that, that pushback that likely was occurring in the hearts of the uh, Corinthian uh, listeners as this letter was, was being read uh, in, in their church. Like, it's like the Apostle Paul knows um, the tendencies of the human heart and how we might want to rebel against what, what God has to say. And so you look at the next section in verse 14, and he says then, even so, the body is made up, uh, not made up of, of one part, but of, of many. And of course that's true, Paul, right? And so he gives these examples and uses the foot and then uh, he uses the ear and we say, well, of course, I mean, that would be foolish, right? For, for any one of the parts of a human body to want to be like the other. And yet it's just as foolish for any one of us to want to be like another part of the body. And yet we at times can do this sort of thing too, if left to ourselves. 
And so it reminds us that there's no one who's unimportant in the body of Christ. Uh, Some parts of the body may be more visible than others, but all the parts are valuable. Sure, you can see our ears and our eyes, no problem. But if our human body doesn't have a heart or our human body doesn't have a liver, we're, we're in big trouble, correct? And so again, visibility, visibility um, is not the issue here. The, the issue is in the fact that all parts are valuable. Now, what, what is the pushback that Paul is likely addressing here? It's that whole idea that what's the use? Um, I'm just an average, ordinary, everyday person. Uh, the, the, the body of Christ, the church is just fine without me. And yet the Apostle Paul continues then in verse uh, 17. He says, so if the whole body then were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And so the point is, I think, very simple. We function at our best when we realize just how much we're needed in the body. No one ought to feel inferior as though we don't matter to God or matter to the body. And yet, while it's easy to play the comparison game in life and in our relationships when we compare our, ourselves to others and either feel insecure or inferior to them or feel proud and superior to them, we can do either of those two things. It's actually a good thing that we're not all the same. It's a good thing that we're not all the same. We're all needed in the body. And so Paul continues because he addresses next a a different kind of pushback that would likely come. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. You're not any better than anyone else and neither am I. And so he says, on the contrary, excuse me, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts we think are less honorable we treat with special honor and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. It's pretty straightforward. And so he continues and says, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Underline that phrase, no division. Circle it, do what you need to do, highlight it. It's really important because if left to ourselves, if we start to function as it's just Jesus and me, it's not about anyone else or anything else, that's when that sort of division begins. What does division mean? It literally means die to vision vision, right? Uh, And so vision is the the picture of of how God is working, uh, how he's called us to move, what he's made clear in his word. Um, But in the early church, what was the issue here? Well, the formerly Gentile believers had one vision, and the formerly Jewish believers had a different vision, but God's vision was that the gospel message would be for all people, both insider and outsider. And so he calls them to have equal concern here for one another. It's not just about you, and it's not just about me. Um, but he reminds us here that, that this, this vision is for the glory, the honor, and the praise of Jesus. And so he calls us not just to look upward here, but he calls us to look outward at one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. 
What's the point of this whole section here? It's that we function at our best when we realize how much we ourselves need others. And we're part of this culture that, that we can sort of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Um, we can kind of live our lives on our own. Um, and some of that is, is very true. And yet, as followers of Jesus, living out this, this most important identity that, that uh, is true of us, um, we actually do need others around us to be all that God wants us to be. And so Paul reminds us in this section, there's no reason to feel superior to anyone else. Um, and he also reminds us to value others and the different roles that they play in the body. It's also a reminder here that God despises division in the church. And one of the biggest divisions that, that um, one of the biggest causes of divisions in local churches is when we don't value the roles of other people in the body. I've been guilty. I've certainly seen a lot of you guilty of that as well. And so there's a lot of conviction, I think, that we might feel here as, as we consider ourselves as a part of the body. Now, I know that in the grand scheme, no one raindrop ever thinks it's to blame for the flood. And yet, we are a collection of raindrops, uh, as it were. Uh, I, I realize I'm mixing metaphors here. Um, but it's important for us uh, to, to make sure that um, we understand just how much we need others, that the local church is a gift to us all. And this is vitally important for us and for the work of Christ among us. And so he continues, the Apostle Paul does here, in verses 27 to the end of the chapter. Now notice this, he says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So notice this, his usage of the word you. So the first usage of the word you is a plural kind of you. You together, you all are the body of Christ. And then each one, so then he moves to the singular, he moves to the individual, each one of us is a part of it. So for every one of us who's placed our hope in Jesus, we are a part of it, but we have this corporate or um, communal identity with one another as the body of Christ. And yet, we all have our individual identities and we all have our individual gifts. And the Apostle Paul here addresses that. He says, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helping, guidance, and different kinds of tongues. So he addresses here this idea that, that's uh, presented elsewhere in Scripture, that every follower of Jesus is given these spiritual gifts not just to build themselves up in Christ, but the purpose being to build up the body of believers to advance God's mission in his church and in the world. That every one of us who identifies as a follower of Jesus is given these various spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts that God gives me are different than the spiritual gifts that God gives Dustin or Allie or Judy, right? We all have these, these different gifts that God has given us, and yet as we use them together, the work of God in the local church and then the capital C church, uh, that, that advances and also beyond then into the world. And so, again, he still deals with some of this residual pushback here. So are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all work miracles? Do we all have gifts of healing? Do we all speak in tongues? Do we all interpret? No, 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 eagerly desire the greater gifts. And so he reminds us here, that we don't all have the same gift. Um, we all have these different gifts, 
But as we live out uh, our identity in Christ and use these gifts to build up the body, when we work together, it's a beautiful thing. But we desire the greater gifts. And what are the greater gifts? Well, we would have to turn to chapter 13. And chapter 13, I don't know how many of you have ever been to a wedding, uh, but chapter 1 Corinthians 13, it, like it's can almost guarantee you're going to hear some reference to 1 Corinthians 13 at, at a wedding, but it's not really written for married couples. It's written for the church, for us together living out our identity. And he describes what the greater gift is. It's that you and me and all these things that God calls us to do as we live out our gifts, everything we do is to be done in love, love for Christ and love for one another. That, that, that's at the root of it. This is the, 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 the desire. This is how we desire the greater gifts. It's to display the, the love of Christ in our own hearts, our love for Christ and the love for one another that's rooted deeply in Him. And so um, with that in mind, the end of chapter 12 almost becomes a, a summary statement of, of sorts that we're together, the body of Christ, each one is a part of it, and as we use our gifts, the body of Christ is built up, but we function at our best then when we use our gifts to build up the body together. Um, even the world around us says that everybody needs a team, uh, and we see images of it all around, but um, I, I don't know if you, some of you, I, I don't know, I, I I've, I've chosen this, this illustration of, of this truth many different times, and I'll, I'll, I'll use it again, uh, although different illustrations speak to different people. But there, there used to be um, this uh, kids' TV show that was called The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. How many of you have heard of it? Okay, good. Some of you are familiar with it, right? So there were these um, helmeted people, these characters, and each one had their own unique color, and they all had uh, these rangers' different uh, weapons and robots that would help them fight the bad guy. And in almost every season, the villain would grow in size and become too much for the Power Rangers. And um, they would work together to form uh, this Megazord, and then they would overtake the enemy. Um, there was something much more powerful when they actually worked together than when they chose to work separately. It's a reminder for us as well. Uh, this is the, the essence of verses 27 to 31. Um, there's something powerful that God does when, when we choose to work together. Um, that everyone has a part and everyone does their part. The work that God calls you to do may be different from the work that God calls me to do, but as each of us does our own piece of the work, the work gets done and the mission of God advances. The gospel of Jesus continues. The Holy Spirit continues to do his work in us, around us, and through us, not for our glory, not for mine, not for yours, but for the glory, the honor, and the praise of, of Jesus. We're reminded here that no one can do everything, but everyone can do something, and everyone ought to do something. That the success of God's work depends on how willing we are to jump in and do our part. That we have an, an amazing opportunity to see the gospel come to life in our own context, even here in the community of Kutztown and the surrounding communities around us, but it depends largely on our willingness to, uh, to jump in, to join in, and then to find a place to use our gifts to advance the, the kingdom of, of God. And so what do we do with, with 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Like, what does this move us to do? I think, one, it does move us to self-examination as God's word often, and I would say always does. That God's word brings with it conviction as his Holy Spirit 
uh, applies it to our own lives. The best applier of Scripture to your heart is not me. The best applier of Scripture to your heart is the Holy Spirit. And so what do you sense him saying to you today? What do I sense him saying to me as a result of what God has clearly said in his word? Maybe for you, you tend to look at your faith individualistically. Maybe for you, your relationship to the body of believers is is minimal or maybe even non-existent. Um, Maybe for you, it's, 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 he's, he's moving you to, to um, maybe deal with some heart issues that, that, that need to be addressed. Maybe for you, it's, it's that you, you haven't identified your spiritual gifts or you're not using your spiritual gifts or um, it could be any, any of those things and, and a million other things that he might say as he applies this truth to your heart and my heart. But it, it does cause us, I think, to move inward. But there are practical applications here. One would be, if you don't know your spiritual gifts, let us help you identify them. Uh, And so if you're curious about that, you can just write on your connection card today, spiritual gifts, and then um, I or a member of the church staff will contact you. We'll send you a little survey, and then uh, you can fill it out, and you can identify your spiritual gifts. I think that's a win for you. It's a win for the local church. It's a win for the kingdom of God when we at least know what our spiritual gifts are so that we can start to use them and develop them for use in the body. Um, with that said, if you haven't found a place to serve, um, let us help you with that. We'd be glad to, because all this that we talk about isn't something we want from you. It's really something we want for you, because again, we recognize that this is who and what God calls us to be. This is actually how God calls us to be. And so um, we actually can do more for the kingdom together in, in this way. And I believe with all my heart that, that God is working among us and that um, our best days are ahead of us and, and not behind us. And um, God wants to continue to build his church because Jesus said so back in Matthew's gospel. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And there was a song we used to sing um, in Aunt Helen's Sunday school class at Salem Bible Fellowship Church in the little community of Lehighton, Pennsylvania. Um, uh, I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. Do you know that song? You know? Oh my goodness. I'm not going to sing it, Pat. <laughs> You're the well, singer. Oh, no. But anyway, um, I am the church, you are the church, and we are the church together. That's the point of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the sort of the big idea and um, it really is the point of every image we look at. Now, next week, we're going to look at a different image. Um, I think it's a rather compelling image of the church. It's from Ephesians chapter 5, when the Apostle Paul refers to the church as a bride. And that, that particular metaphor has, I think, um, uh, significant implications for all of us and then for us together. And so we'll, we'll get there as well. Now, let me just say this, too, bringing it all back to the gospel bringing it all back to faith in Jesus. Apart from Jesus, you and I are still dead in our trespasses and sins. Apart from Jesus, we're, we're, we're really not um, this, this part of this living and breathing organism known as the church. We are on the outside. That it's the good news of the gospel who, uh, which allows us to experience life as it was meant to be lived and which allows us to experience a relationship with the God who created us, a relationship that we are forever craving. And until we deal with our own sin issue and trust Jesus, the one who died in our place is the perfect sacrifice for sin and the one who rose again from the dead on our behalf to secure 
our eternal life and to, to give us new life once and for all, until that becomes a reality, we are still uh, irreligious outsiders. We are, are still dead, and there's no ability to live any of this out in a, in a meaningful way until we put our hope in Jesus. And so, um, again, uh, th- that is where it starts. And if you haven't taken that very first step, there's no other next step until that first step is taken to trust Jesus and Jesus alone. But for the rest of us, there are some significant implications as well that we need to wrestle with and work through ourselves. And I hope that you do, and I hope that we do together. Let's pray. Uh, Our Father and our God, um, we pause just to recognize you as um, the one who is exceedingly good, to recognize you, Lord, as the author of, of this word, the, the author of, of the scriptures, the one who breathed these words and inspired people like the Apostle Paul to write these truths for us. And Lord, we recognize the weight of your word as being God-breathed and given to us, preserved for the ages. And we recognize, Lord, your Holy Spirit who speaks this truth to us and applies it to our hearts and our lives. And Lord, we confess corporately and individually um, these areas of disconnect between our own hearts and your heart, which you've shared with us here. And Lord, we confess at times our tendency to live our Christian faith individualistically, We confess, Lord, our times of of being complacent or apathetic in our our walk with you, our relationship with you, our relationship with the local church. Lord, we confess just how easily we can slip into the sins of of, um, pride and superiority or even inferiority. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to continue to do a work of of redemption. Lord, that you would um, do such a work in our hearts that that we would be compelled to turn from those selfish parts of ourselves, those sinful parts of ourselves, to trust you more. Lord, give us that grace as we sing about, to trust you more in this. Lord, we believe that the local church really is a gift to us. Lord, we believe that, that these relationships that we have with one another matter. And, and Lord, um, we believe that you have called us together to do something far greater than any of us could ever do on our own. And so, Lord, work in our hearts today. Lord, reveal to each one of us how we can apply this truth. And Lord, our prayer is for us in this local expression of the church, that, that you would use us to uh, lead people toward a growing relationship with Jesus, that you would use us to live out in meaningful ways the, the one another's of the New Testament, that you would use us to disciple one another and care for one another and forgive one another, Lord, that we would be this body who continues to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice and so much more. So Lord, have your way in our hearts today. Lord, do a work in us, not for our glory, but for the glory, the honor, and the praise of Jesus, the one whose name we pray together. Amen.
I can, I, I just want to share a short little testimony about the church. Is that, can I do that, Pastor? There's nothing that makes you appreciate the church like being a missionary overseas. Nothing like it. First of all, the feeling of being far away from home and knowing that there is a church at home that cares about you and is supporting you, not only financially, but with prayers. And also, you know, the church that you have there. But then come, while I was on the mission field, the church that I went to split. And that feeling of insecurity and not knowing what friends you were going to still have around when you came back. And being a member of a church here has been just so wonderful as I see people working out their gifts. You know, I think so often of people like Ann Dietrich and Barb Adam and, and so many who, you know, they're working in the kitchen. They're not grandiose about it. They're not, uh, and so many people who work over there, they're hidden. They aren't out front, but what would we do without them? And then there's people up here who are singing, and my voice was long gone, you know, but they're up here singing and using their talents with music. Where would we be without them? You know, and people who, like the pastor, when I used to have the deputation and speak, I had maybe about five messages, because <laughs> I'd go to different churches. It was all new to them. Um, and uh, I worked like a dog to get just five <laughs> that were good. And pastor does this every week because that's his calling and blessing from God. You know, that's his part of the body. And it's amazing to me when I see how the body of Christ has just worked out in this congregation. And it makes me so happy. Makes me so happy. Teachers downstairs doing teaching people like Allie who are doing the nursery where I would have to cut my throat, which would be a sin. <laughs> so thank you, Allie, for keeping me from sin. <laughs> so that, that's just, I was sitting there thinking about that, how the body works together, and I just thank everyone. Thank everyone. So let's move on. <laughs> As we continue to worship the Lord, uh, through giving.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we had to give of ourselves and our, our offering this morning. Thank you especially for all those, especially those who I didn't mention, like those who give themselves in the sound room all the time. And I shouldn't even have started naming names because I'm sure I might have offended people, but I pray that no one took offense and just that they would have heard the spirit behind what I said. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity for us to give to the church that uh, those who are good with numbers tally it up and send it to where it's needed most. And Lord, may you use it, that your name may be glorified and that your work will be accomplished on this earth. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. So let us sing. I love thy kingdom, Lord, and we love the Lord, we love his kingdom, we love his church. So let's stand together and sing. You'll recognize the tune. I was thrown by the title too. So let's stand and sing together. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance before you and give you peace. And that was Numbers. <laughs> 